Good morning, Mercy Road. How are we doing? Well, if I haven't met you, my name is Mike Lotzer. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're in a series called Identity Issues, and we all have them. We all wonder where we fit in uh, this world and uh, what really defines us, and so we've been looking to Scripture to tell us the answer to, to those questions um, and to really center us. And I don't know if you guys have heard, it. anybody here there's an election coming up? No. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Anyone feeling a little emotional about that? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a tense political climate, and I think uh, most of us, especially those who don't really like conflict, and there's a lot of us in the Midwest, we're just excited that eventually we won't have to see the political ads, but uh, it's, it's a really difficult season, and, and I don't remember in my lifetime a more contentious um, election or, or more vitriol, it, it seems to be that it's not just that you're wrong if you're voting for the candidate that I don't like, it's that you're like a bad person. Anyone else feel feel that way, right? And so, uh, you know, we, we're not going to talk politics today, but we are going to talk about citizenship. Uh, and we're going to go to uh, God's Word. We spent all summer in Philippians, and we're going to go back there. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 and Paul is talking to this group of people. He planted a church in the city of Philippi, and they're primarily uh, military veterans of the Roman military, um, combat veterans at that. And some of them have never even lived in Rome, but they're thoroughly Roman. It's a colony of Rome that he's writing to in a church plant within that colony. All right, Philippians 3.17 Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So the Apostle Paul is saying, in this crazy culture we live in, follow people who follow Jesus and follow the teachings of Jesus. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many lives Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. So Paul is just saying, most people in the world just kind of live by their appetites. And they're very destructive. And then he contrasts that. But not us. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And he goes on to even say um, that um, basically Jesus is on the throne. Verse 21 by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious bodies. So this is God's word, and we're going to spend some time just thinking about that. If you're taking notes, the first thing I'd like to point out is pretty obvious. As followers of Christ, our citizenship is from heaven. How many of you have an updated passport? Raise your hand if, you, if you've got one. I don't. Mine's outdated. Now, and I've traveled a little more in my 20s, and I was in some rough uh, places in the world, and gosh, I was pretty glad that I had an American passport. Why? Well, because the weight of the American government 
backs up that little passport. And you're treated differently in certain countries if you have an American passport. That citizenship is a very valuable thing. There are hundreds, millions of people even that want American citizenship, right? Because it's a valuable thing. Now, Paul is writing to Roman citizens, and that was also a very valuable thing. Rome was uh, an empire that the world had never seen before. It lasted for almost 1,200 years, and you thought America had a role here. Um, 1,200 years, right? And it was unmatched militarily, and it had its own culture, and people wanted to be Roman citizens because it brought the protection of Rome so Paul is writing to these Roman citizens who have decided to follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and he's using logic that they already live by, and he's saying essentially, you know how, you know, you're a Roman citizen, but you don't live in Rome. You're in a colony of Rome called Philippi. That's kind of how it is with us. Our citizenship, though it is technically Roman, is even, at a deeper level, heavenly. That's your home. That's your home country. Carrie, our kids' ministry director, and I have an ongoing debate about who is more Irish. And I have a 23andMe DNA report that says I'm 69% Irish. I'm almost a leprechaun. <laughs> but she thinks she's more Irish, and so we banter about that. But what this means for me is this. I am not primarily Irish-American. I am primarily a citizen of heaven. Pastor Scotty Holloway spoke to us at our services a few uh, weeks ago, and he said something very powerful. He said, even in a climate of such racial tension where injustices are being talked about, he said, I need to make one thing clear. I am not primarily African-American. Scotty said, I am primarily a follower of Jesus Christ. That's where our identity lies. That's what we've been talking about in this series. But this idea of citizenship has profound implications in this crazy political, cultural moment that we find ourselves in. And if you're taking notes, the second thing I'd like us to consider is this. Because our citizenship is from heaven, the church is a heavenly colony on earth. What is a colony? It's an outpost. It's not geographically located in its home country. Many of the people that Paul would have written to had fought and almost died for the glory and the honor of Rome. But many of them had never even stepped foot in Rome. And yet, they were 100% Roman. They knew Roman culture and Roman values. They knew what behavior was Roman and what behavior was, as they would have said, barbarian. They were Romans. It's interesting as a case study because Philippi is probably one of the most patriotic churches you could find that Paul planted. And, and there's an obvious reason for that. You know, if you fight for something and you're willing to die for something and you do that over and over, you get kind of attached to that thing. And part of the pain I feel in this political season comes from my time in combat 
and from my memories of friends who never came home from Iraq and Afghanistan. And I want this country to flourish, and I want it to be strong, and I want it to live by its ideals, and I don't want to see division tear it apart. And so I'm going to vote, even though it's, it's a very difficult time to know what is best for this country. Can we admit that? Let me ask you a question. If I were to move on and leave Mercy Road, I'm, I'm not planning on that, but if I were to, and we did a senior pastor search, and President Trump and Joe Biden both applied for my position, <laughs> would, you, would you give them a serious look? It's an interesting thought experiment. Here's what I'm saying. Nobody is perfect, and the options we're given right now, if you compare these leaders against Scripture, I'm just saying there is reason that some of you are losing a little sleep at night, okay? And we can just take a deep breath and admit, and I need to tell you something else. For those of you who are so convinced that everyone will vote one way. Know that there are people sitting among you that will vote differently than you. And we are still followers of Jesus Christ. I'm not here to endorse a president candidate. I, I really am here to endorse Jesus Christ as the Lord of the universe. Why? You ask. The election has consequences. It matters. You should endorse it. No, why? Because I'm a citizen first of heaven. And so are you. Do you know how you know that you're a citizen of heaven and living in a colony of heaven? Homesickness. What do I mean by that? Have you ever taken a wonderful vacation? You were really excited to go, and you actually had a wonderful time. It went about as well as it could have, but then on the flight home or the drive home or a few months later, you reflect on it and you just say, you know, as good as it was, it didn't quite live up to what I wanted. It didn't quite deliver. You ever marry somebody who was the right person to marry and you're so glad they chose, to, chose you, and yet, as good as your marriage is, it doesn't quite scratch the itch at the center of your soul. There's something more. Have you ever bought a car? And it was the right car, and it's a great car, and you like the car, but then it just stopped feeling like you thought it would feel. C.S. Lewis writes about this. He said, if we have this longing in our heart constantly that no earthly experience can satisfy the only logical conclusion is that we were made for another world. You're homesick, my friends. Even the best relationships, the best travel, the best experience, the best pleasures still leave you wanting something, but you can't quite identify what you miss home. You're going to last forever. You're going to live forever in the presence of God in a new body in a new heavens and a new earth, we call that heaven. But now you live in a colony. The Philippian church, as I said, was made up of combat veterans, and they were living in this culture that 
looked at the values of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God strangely. Now think about it. I mean, it's still true today. Think about forgiveness. Has someone ever really, really done something terrible to you, really stabbed you in the back, was unfaithful to you, really took advantage of you? Was your impulse to be like, you know what? At great personal cost to myself, I'm going to forgive you and we're going to be just good, okay? That wasn't my impulse in the moments when that happened to me. Forgiveness is otherworldly, isn't it? The world works more like eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I'm, I'm actually helping do the homeschooling. We're homeschooling our kids in this pandemic, and I get to teach history, and we were teaching about Hammurabi's Code. It was one of the early law codes given, and it was brutal. I mean, if you were a doctor and you performed a surgery or tried to help somebody and, and they died on, the, on your operating table, they cut your hand off. So, yeah, there's a, you know, maybe med school, not, but, but, let's say, let, but let's say you wanted to go be a builder. And it's like, well, I'm going to just build houses because I want my hands. Now, if you, if you build a house with your ancient practices and tools and the, the roof collapses in on somebody and kills them, they actually build you a house and collapse the roof in on you and killing you. It was very much, hey, if you do that, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to kill you. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to get even, and that's how the world works. Every culture feels that, and every culture looks at this heavenly culture of Christianity and forgiveness and says, what? God doesn't punish you. He takes the punishment on himself, and then he calls you to forgive other people, absorb the cost. How about repentance? I mean, apart from the culture of heaven, people don't just bump into things and say, oh, you know, I really want to do this, but I have this inner voice that's kind of telling me I shouldn't. So you know what I'm going to do? Instead of doing it, I'm going to completely do a 180 and walk away and reorient my whole life to not do that thing. Nonsense. That is not what cultures of this world do. But that is what a heavenly culture does. And I have to imagine that this little colony in Philippi was experiencing tension and its cultural tension. And that leads us to our third point. The Christian colony is meant to bring heaven's culture here to earth. That's the purpose of a colony. Now, Rome did it through military might and force, and, and they exported their cultural values of glory and honor and winning in battle, and some of their values were pretty at odds with the culture of heaven. For example, did you know that in Roman culture, women just were not valued very much? And to, to that extent, when someone had a baby girl, and there's no ultrasound, so they don't know if it's a boy or a girl, all of a sudden it's a baby girl, they would just let the infant, the alive infant, just die of exposure. It was just a very common thing. It was just normal. It's just what people did. But then these little colonies of heaven kept cropping up. And the colonists would look at these little baby girls and they'd pick them up and they would raise these little girls at great cost to themselves because they noticed that these baby girls were either going to die or they would become sexual slaves. Somebody would raise them for that purpose. You know, that kind of heavenly culture is offensive to cultures who don't think that way. 
Why would you do that? It convicts people. And it can draw hostility. Have you ever been on a diet and you're really trying to eat right and you go out to uh, TGI Fridays or wherever with your friends and they're like, let's get the nachos that have like 90 billion calories. Those ones, you know, where you can't even see the chips. It's just all the stuff on it. You love those nachos, right? And you're like, actually, I'm on Whole30, which means I, you know, just eat the vegetables and the fruit and drink water and uh, cardboard, and uh, I can't. <laughs> Are your friends happy for you? Like, oh, good for you. No. Some of them, but a lot of them get hostile. They're like, you eat the nachos. <laughs> We're ordering nachos, and you eat those nachos. Why? Why do they act like that? Because your virtue makes them feel guilty. Don't judge me for eating nachos. <laughs> friends, Paul's writing to this little colony, these Jesus followers who really identify as a colony of heaven, and he's saying, don't be surprised when you're, when you're sharing your cultural values with the cultures of this earth if sometimes they look at you funny, like, why would you do that? And sometimes they persecute you for your values, like, that's just not how we do it, eat the nachos, They're feeling this insecurity because people are looking at this heavenly culture of forgiveness and justice that also incorporates mercy and humility. And they're like, what is that? Humility was not, not a virtue in Roman culture. Not only was it not a virtue, it was just an oddity. You know, we define humility at Mercy Road not thinking less of yourself or more of yourself, but thinking of yourself less often. And so Chad and I, when we preach sermons, we try to t make it a lot about Jesus and talk about you and talk about whatever stories we need to talk about, but it's not just Chad and Mike talking about Chad and Mike because we want to model humility. And Rome, they didn't get that. The greatest goal was to get famous and have a statue built after you and people remember you for, for years and years. And I would go so far as to say our culture that we live in as heavenly colonists, they don't get humility, do they? Why would you think of yourself less often? You're the most important person. But make no mistake, our job is to export the culture of heaven to those around us, not through force, not through might, but through love. One of the greatest ironies in human history is that when Paul is writing this letter, the church is under persecution, and I mean real persecution. They're torturing Christians to death. Nero was a terrible emperor, and he would actually light Christians on fire with pitch and tar at his parties to provide ambient lighting. I mean, no joke, right? And yet, within four centuries, under four centuries, the whole Roman Empire is Christian. How do you take the most militarily equipped empire in the ancient world and convince them to stop killing this small group of people called Jesus followers and start reorienting their whole system to follow Jesus? How did that happen? 
I mean, if you didn't know history, you would be like, I bet the Christians organized and got really, really strong and they started like suicide bombing attempts or something or like maybe they ran for office and they got the right political leader and, and then, no. It was the infectiousness of their courageous, sacrificial, humble love. People found it attractive. Maybe that's your story. You, you weren't a follower of Jesus, and then you, you started to hang out with some followers of Jesus who weren't flashy, weren't pushy, but man, did they love. They'd give you anything. And you saw in them something that your heart has always longed for. And you started to feel homesick when you were around them. And then as they carefully and kindly, winsomely told you about Jesus, you wanted to know more. And you put your trust in this Savior. That's how Rome changed. You know, I'm doing a wedding coming up, and I was joking with Chad about this. We have to preach at weddings on the same scripture over and over and over again. Any guesses? First Corinthians 13, good guess, yep. Love is a lot of wonderful things, and the Apostle Paul wrote about love, and in this passage in Corinthians, he, he says, you know, you can be really impressive and you can have it all right and you can believe the right things and you can do lots of good stuff for God and you can be theologically just very acutely knowledgeable and impressive as a, you can be a minister, you can be a pastor, you can do a superstar job for Jesus, but if you don't have love, you're this. That's what he says. It's a weird Greek word. It basically means obnoxious noise. It's translated clanging cymbal obnoxious noise. Think about what that means. Some of us, and I put myself in this camp, when we say certain things, this is what people actually hear. Well, you know, when it comes to Donald Trump, here's the But the thing about Joe Biden is, kids, I'm gonna tell you one more time, Honey, thank you for homeschooling, but I just want to... If it snows in October one more time... <laughs> Friends, I use this not to uh, be a noise terrorist, but, but just to hopefully get this to stick in my brain and yours. People don't remember a lot about what you tell them but they always remember how you made them feel. People always remember your love or lack thereof. It's true. How loving have you been, citizen of heaven, this political season? What does love require of you? Some of us, I, I honestly believe, if we are really living by this principle that if you're not loving, if you're not mimicking the love of Jesus, it doesn't matter. You're wrong. 
if we're living by that, some of us, the, the implication would be you need to go home and delete some stuff from your social media. Some of us, we just need to say, you know what, I'm, I'm sorry. And, and I put myself in this. I, again, I, as a person who almost died in combat myself, I care about this nation deeply. And so I have very strong feelings as I try to wrestle with what, who is the right person to vote for and what, and I can come across too strong to people. And so if I do that, I, I need to ask forgiveness towards people. For some of you, it's not even about politics. It's about some other matter. And you know deep down, though, even though you're right, you're not loving. And you haven't been. So what would love require? Maybe some humility? Maybe asking for forgiveness? Maybe a conversation? As followers of Christ, our citizenship is from heaven. That's why you're homesick. Because our citizenship is from heaven, the church, Mercy Road Church, and every other church, anyone who says Christ is Lord, we're colonists. We're a colony of heaven living on earth. In this Christian colony, it's meant to bring heaven's culture to earth. How do you do that? You do that through love. Sacrificial, costly, consistent, spirit-led love. And lastly, the Christian colony depends on King Jesus for rescue and ultimate protection. Philippi is nowhere close to Rome by ancient travel, but over the water, over the Adriatic Sea, you could get, I don't know, 30 legions of soldiers, elite soldiers, they're pretty quick. And, and this is how it would work. When the barbarians, that Rome called all these other cultures barbarians, were at the gates, and they often were, they often did not like Rome, and they tried to just completely consume a Roman colony, it's a, it's a quick message across that Adriatic Sea, and all of a sudden, the full legion air power of Rome crushes a rebellion. And so that's why people didn't freak out living in violent territory, because Rome has my back. And, and what I want us to remember from Scripture is what Paul is asking them to remember. No matter what happens, no matter who gets elected, whether it's the person you voted for or not, whatever happens... Jesus Christ is on the throne. Did you notice how the scripture ended that I read? He has control over all things. If he wants something to happen, it's going to happen. If he wants to change something, it's going to be changed. If he wants to advance something, it's going to be advanced. We, I mean, think about this for a minute. Like, the president of the United States has a lot of power, but it pales in comparison to the president of the universe. The king of the universe is Jesus Christ, and he is bringing all things together for your good and for his glory, no matter how chaotic and messy and painful it might have to be for a while. And that should give you the ability to take a deep breath. I mean, ultimate rescue is coming. Whether you die in 10 minutes of COVID-19 or 90 years after a fun, happy, easy American life, you on the other side of death, if you trust in the forgiving love of Jesus Christ, 
will live forever in a new body, in a new heaven, in a new earth, in a place where every tear is wiped away in the presence of King Jesus. And guess what? You're not going to feel homesick because you'll be home. Think about that. This should just clear away that fear, that anxiety that clings like wet, cold weather around you. But that's ultimate rescue. King Jesus is coming. And Paul says, we're waiting for the salvation, the ultimate rescue. That's coming. But he also says he has control over all things now. And yet, God loves you enough to have a relationship with you to give you not just a vote, but a trillion votes. Every Thing you choose to do and I choose to do is a vote. You're a free will human being that can do whatever you want and yet God's going to weave it all together for your good and his glory. That's amazing. And this is why you should vote and you should research and you should study and you should think carefully about what God's word says and the issues and all of that and then you should take a deep breath and say whatever happens more important than who sits in the White House is who sits on the throne of the universe. And I know who sits on the throne of the universe, and it is an eternal term. Friends, this is good news for us. I look forward to gathering with you next Sunday outdoors. We're actually going to do our drive-in church service. And so any of you listening online who'd like to join us and haven't been able to because of COVID-19 uh, risk factors or concerns, you can come to our drive-in church service, sit in your car, tune to an AFM station that will show you on a sign. And uh, Chad and I will be on stage with Ari and um, the band and, and we'll be cold, but you won't be. And we'll just do that uh, in one service at 1030 instead of nine. And if you want to sit indoors instead of your car, there'll be overflow. Look forward to that. But before we, we finish today, I'd like us to finish in a unique little time of prayer. It'll be brief. I'll ask Pastor Chad to come up here uh, and join me. You know, the Apostle Paul writes elsewhere, writing to Timothy, that we're supposed to pray for our leaders because we could all agree they need prayer. And so I'm actually going to pray for both uh, our current president, Donald Trump, and Joe Biden, who would like to be president. One of those two are going to be president. We're not endorsing either one of those by prayer. And let me just say this. If you can't pray for someone you won't vote for, be careful. You're out of step with the teaching of Jesus. And so we're going to just pray, and then Chad is going to pray for us as we have the civic duty in a democracy to vote. So would you, would you join us in prayer? And as you do, if, if Chad or I say something in prayer that you agree with, one good way to just pray corporately is just say under your breath, Lord, I agree. Lord, I agree. Gracious God, I thank you that our spiritual passports say heaven, that we are citizens of heaven and we're a colony of heaven. We're called to bring your culture and we're also called to pray for leaders and potential leaders. And so right now, Lord, I pray uh, for uh, Donald Trump and I pray for Joe Biden, Kamala Harris and Mike Pence. 
one of those two individuals will be the president and the vice president for the next four years, Lord. And many of us feel very conflicted and confused. And whenever I feel conflicted and confused, I always ask your Holy Spirit to intercede and ask what I would ask if I had your wisdom and perspective, your motivation. And so, Lord, as a church, Mercy Road, collectively, we ask, Lord, your Holy Spirit to ask what we would ask if we had your perspective concerning who will occupy the White House, who will occupy uh, Congress and Senate and local government. Father, forgive us for the times that we, we have been more like an obnoxious noise than a loving citizen of heaven called to bring heaven's culture to our neighbors. In Jesus' name. There's this amazing moment in scripture. King Solomon had just finished the temple and the Lord showed up to him in a dream. And he basically said, there's times when I will shut up the heavens. There's times when I will bring famine and locusts. But in those times, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Lord, may this prayer start with us. Lord, forgive us for our brokenness, for when we are quick to judge, quick to point a finger. Lord, we turn to you and we just want to repent and say, Lord, heal our land. As we step forward these next days, may you be with us every step. May you guide us. Lord, we invite you into everything we do as a church, as a people, as a nation. Come with us, Lord. Be with us, Lord. Guide us, Lord. This is our prayer, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.